Good afternoon. You are listening to Campus K's Midday Magazine. I'm Jordan Lewis. This is Midday Magazine for December 7th. December is chock full of events that bring small towns together, but this holiday season, a number of groups in Petersburg are also getting excited about a pragmatic gift from the borough. It's a machine about the size of a refrigerator, and it promises to help with the child care crisis, the police department, and the labor shortage. KFSK's Rachel Cassandra reports. Police Chief James Kurt is opening the first box from a huge pile in a side room at the police station. Let's see. That's electronic signature pad. He's checking parts of his master list of components. These are a lot bigger boxes than I was expecting. Oh, they are? Yeah, I guess I just had no idea how big a fingerprint machine would be. So what is the printer for? Does that print... That'll print out so when people come in and they want to take the cards with them, it'll print out all their fingerprint cards. Oh, okay. The machine is a LiveScan 1000, an electronic fingerprint machine. It cost the borough just under $22,000. The borough used ARPA grant money, which is federal funding for COVID relief. But the police department wasn't the first to request the LiveScan 1000. Chelsea Tremblay heads the borough's Early Childhood Education Task Force. She says it's been hard for child care facilities to hire new people. Fingerprinting is a part of the background process, and the process for getting fingerprints done here in town was slow and frustrating. In the past, applicants would get fingerprinted at the police station the old-fashioned way, with ink and paper. Then, applicants had to mail in those fingerprint cards to whatever office is processing their paperwork. There are a lot of reasons why people need to get fingerprints done. Sometimes it's for a job. Sometimes it's for a different kind of application. Charlay Mamoui runs Petersburg's Children's Center. She says fingerprinting is required when they're hiring people. We are bound by state licensing regulations, and state licensing regulations says that um, the person that we hire has to be of sound mind and body and criminal history. The biggest hitch comes when those cards aren't done correctly. And, Mamoui says, it's harder to do than you might think. Um, It's not like you just can slap your fingerprints onto a card and just call it good. And when they do come back smudged, we won't know about that until after they've been rejected from the state. Chief Kerr says that fingerprint cards are rejected all the time. It might look good to us, but it didn't meet the quality that they needed. And this thing will tell us right away. And Mamoui says the Children's Center has actually lost applicants because of how long the process was taking. Sometimes they already have other better paying jobs, and sometimes they're just like, this is taking forever, I really don't want to, I found something different, or whatever it may be. The machine also has the potential to allow Petersburg residents to get more creative about solving the child care crisis. Tremblay says the Early Childhood Education Task Force is trying to do just that. For example, we were brainstorming how cool would it be to be able to have a volunteer network of people that could be extra bodies in a room at a child care center uh, when they need them. Even that idea was running into this roadblock. Chief Kerr walks me out to the garage to the metal cabinet that will hold the machine. Kerr says the machine will also be able to compare fingerprints yes. to national electronic records. If we have someone who's refusing to tell us who they are, and they get arrested, we enter them in as John Doe or Jane Doe, and we should have results back within an hour or so. 
something that the, I think the community's needed for a long time. Yeah, I can't wait to get this thing installed. Now we got to put it together. Yeah. Borough manager Steve Giesbrecht worked with the chief on the machine's purchase. He says in the future, Petersburg may be able to use the machine to jump through even more bureaucratic hoops. Applicants could use it to apply for TSA pre-check or to get their TWIC cards. That stands for Transportation Worker Identity Credential. Those cards are necessary for workers who need higher security clearance for maritime facilities and vessels. Tremblay says it's especially cool that this single piece of technology will impact so many different groups in Petersburg. This is something that really touches a lot of people's lives, but they don't know it until it's about to impact them, and then it's very frustrating. So it feels really good that this broad group of people were able to collectively identify this as something that was really frustrating, and then we had the funds available we had staff interested in pursuing it, taking it seriously, and now we have a solution. The police department is waiting for one more part for the machine. Then HID Global, who makes the machine, will install it. The company will also train officers in the police department on how to take fingerprints. Reporting in Petersburg, I'm Rachel Cassandra. The police department does not have a firm timeline on how long the postal service installation and training will take. Until then, Petersburg will rely on ink and paper. A Sitka-based author has taken a detour into young adult fiction, and the diversion has paid off with a national award. Brendan Jones will receive the Green Earth Book Award in a virtual ceremony on December 7th from Delaware. The award has been presented for the last 18 years by the nonprofit Nature Generation for exceptional work in genre now called eco-lit, or literature which explores ecological issues. Joan's new novel, Whispering Alaska, was published last year by a Penguin Random House. Joan says the story about twin girls who moved to an island in Alaska wasn't his idea. Rather, it was suggested to him by an editor at Random House. However, the novel didn't come together until Jones was living in the Russian Far East on a Fulbright scholarship. My agent um, called up and said, hey, listen, uh, there's a great editor out there, Beverly Horowitz. Would you be interested in writing a story about uh, twins coming from Pennsylvania to Alaska? And I said, I don't know anything about, you know, young adult. And um, Julia, my agent, pointed out, well, you're going to have three of them, and specifically three girls, because you have three girls who are younger now. Um, so I'm sure it's something you've been thinking about. And so maybe you could give it a shot. And so I did. I, I wrote a manuscript and sent it to Beverly. And she said, this is not good. Uh, try again. And I did. And I sent her one. And she said, this is still not good. Try again. Start over. And I went to Siberia and just had a couple months on my own during uh, right before COVID started in March. And I had some time alone. And I just really dropped into some sort of creative space in center one and she said we can work with this and that was whispering alaska jones says that although the story coalesced into a novel before covid writing that during the pandemic informed the plot in fact jones says his publisher believes that this is the first young adult fiction to explore the impact of the pandemic on youth in this case the twin girls at the heart of the story have suffered the death of their mother an emergency room doctor and although they're twins a rare genetic twist means that they each have a unique experience of grief 
So they're grieving their mother's loss, and they've always, they're mirror twins. Um, it's this incredible thing where twins are actually mirrors of each other. They're, they have birthmarks on opposite sides. Even their hearts are on opposite sides. It's this crazy phenomena, but it also means that one is right brain and the other is left brain. So they literally mirror each other. And so when their mother dies, they have very different uh, ways of, of dealing with their death. And both those different ways... One, for lack of better terms, is more type A. One's more, you know, type B, is seen through the lens of the Tongass and and through this small remote island town. Now, they react so differently. One is much more uh, biology in the classroom and engaging on that level, and the other just wants to get out into the old growth and experience what's there. Jones says that Whispering Alaska is aimed at readers who are around age 12 and up which in the publishing industry is known as middle grade. He recently returned to Sitka from a trip to Port Alexander, where he taught the book for a week. And he says that it's been a great way to reach Alaskan kids with a story that's more relatable than the usual novels like To Kill a Mockingbird. His plan is to take Whispering Alaska into other classrooms in Alaska and into high school and university courses he'll instruct in the coming year. Jones has received high marks for his previous work. His debut novel, The Alaskan Laundry, won the 2017 Alaskana Prize and was recognized by Oprah's book club here on campus k on sunday you can hear a podcast featuring brendan jones speech speaking with dan kowalski host of alaska story project eh, which airs sunday at 11 a.m at a meeting monday night the juno assembly and gold belt inc hashed out the details of their partnership on the new gondola at eagle crest ski area Gold Belt will contribute $10 million to the pro- $10 million to the project as part of their agreement and will take a share of the profits of ticket sales for 25 years. The corporation expects to make $20 million in that time. The goal is to open the, t- the gondola in May of 2027. If it is not finished in time, Gold Belt can back out of the agreement. The proposal aims to have 75,000 visitors to the gondola in the first year. That's about 750 tourists a day during the summer months. Tickets are expected to cost $100. Juno City Manager Rory Waite said he thinks having a partnership with Gold Belt would help reach that number. If it was CBJ going it alone, I would not be very comfortable. He pointed to Gold Belt's experience operating the tram on Mount Roberts. I think quite plausible um, and, and small, really, in the context of the number of visitors that come. Gold Belt President McHugh Pierre said the Eagle Crest Gondola will offer more access to outdoor sports than the Mount Roberts Tram. So uh, we're not going to have mountain bikes on Mount Roberts. The Gold Belt Tram is never going to authorize that. But we could see in the future where you might be riding a mountain bike down Eagle Crest. And so those are some of the things that we're excited about. The next step on the gondola project is to formally introduce an ordinance to the Assembly at its December 12th meeting, followed by public commentary in January. The heat is back on at Sitka's Blatley Middle School, and classes are expected to resume as usual today, after students were unexpectedly sent home for four days during the installation of new heat pumps. The return to warm classrooms concludes what has been a full year of chilly instruction for Sitka's middle schoolers. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. Blatchley Principal Ben White is feeling upbeat about the prospect of a fully heated building. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a calendar year since we've had a functional, effective heat system. It was November of last year when it uh, shut down. And so as of last night, that would be December 5th at 8 o'clock, we have half the units up and running and functioning very well. The other half of the units 
um, should be hooked up in the next 24 to 48 hours, and they don't anticipate any um, issues going forward with the continued hookup. But even with half the units running, the building is already more um, completely heated than it has been in, well, a year. The school had been getting by on space heaters and a couple of the original heat pumps that were limping along, leaving conditions in the building tolerable, if not comfortable. There was no disruption of classes until Wednesday, November 30th, when White sent a note informing parents that there would be no school for two days, Thursday and Friday, and then remote learning for another two days on Monday and Tuesday. It happened to be the coldest part of the winter so far in southeast Alaska, and the problem wasn't a lack of output from the new heat pumps. The contractors, White says, had to test the other half of a heat pump system and turn on the building's air conditioning. It was a little ironic, and when they told me that, I had to laugh, but it's part of the uh, you know the heating and cooling system, so they had to essentially purge that and make sure that system was functional. Um, so it was kind of uh, comical at that point that, oh, of course, we're going to turn the air conditioning on. White says the test run of the air conditioning took the temperature down to around 40 degrees in some classrooms. The Sitka Assembly set aside $600,000 last August to purchase new heat pumps for the building when district maintenance staff determined that the old heat pumps, which were just 11 years old, had failed beyond repair, likely the result of an installation method that just wasn't suitable for southeast Alaska. Fortunately, there was money to spare from surplus sales tax revenues from Sitka's rebound in cruise tourism, and the new equipment was ordered, while the actual timeline for installing it remained an open question. That the installation came during a cold snap wasn't the best timing, but White is glad the situation is finally being resolved and that Sitka's middle schoolers can return to learning without having to dress for the climate. We have lots of students and staff who, who do um, actually wear their winter hats and winter coats and gloves. Um, you know, the students get to move throughout the school during the school day. They, they see seven different teachers each day. Um, so part of their days was in heated rooms, while part would be in rooms that weren't heated. However, staff, you were frequently in um, a room all day long that might be 50 degrees. It does start to take a toll. White says all Blatchley students will return to in-person learning and buses will run on their usual schedule as of Wednesday, December 7th. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. And that is going to be it for your Midday Magazine on this Wednesday, December 7th. Coming up here in just a few moments will be your weather, community calendar, and then followed by Bird Note and Street Beat with Leo.